host, Emily. I am glad you're here. If you've been around since the beginning, it's good to see you. Thanks for coming back. If you're new, welcome. This is a safe space where I talk about pop culture that has no relevance to anything. I also throw in random stories about myself and you get the opportunity to hear about a weird girl who likes movies too much. (laughs) So this is season three. And for the next nine episodes, we'll be discussing movie musicals. Sometimes I'll be doing lists. Sometimes I'll be doing not so deep dives into particular films, but the whole time we'll be having a lot of fun. If you've missed episode one on movie musical superlatives with Valerie, definitely start there. But for this episode, I thought it would be fun to watch a movie I'd never seen. There are actually a few musicals out there that somehow slip past me. Turns out Fiddler on the Roof is very sad. (laughs) There are some amazing songs. All of the songs are amazing, but the overall plot is just terribly depressing. And it just made me very lonely and upset. It's also a long movie that I kind of thought would never end. And Gypsy, another sad one, a stage mom basically turns her daughter into a stripper. It's an odd storyline for a musical. Kiss Me Kate, I didn't actually finish that one. I didn't like any of the characters. Maybe one day I'll go back to it, but got into it and it's just like, ugh, I don't want to watch this. But one that wasn't sad, also not incredibly historically accurate, is 1776, our topic of conversation for today. If you haven't been to Independence Hall in Philadelphia, I highly recommend it. I've been a couple of times. Um, both visits I were just filled with amazing storytelling by the National Park Service. What they are able to do is they take you into the room where it'll happen. It's just, it's amazing. Um, one trip was in the dead of summer. It was probably close to 100 degrees, sweltering hot. At that point, they had not built the new building where the Liberty Bell is held. So it was outside. So you had to wait in line outside. And I thought I was going to die of heat stroke. The other trip was a few hours before a proposed blizzard. So I don't feel like I've seen Philly at its best. (laughs) But the passion that the Park Service puts into sharing history just always leaves me in awe. I had the great fortune one summer to spend um, a couple months in Virginia as a part of the Student Conservation Association, where I worked at the Yorktown Battlefield, got to give tours of the battlefield all summer long. I was a terrified public speaker. In fact, I don't think there are words strong enough to express the fear that would shoot through my entire body every time I had to get up and talk to anybody about anything. But for some reason, I thought, you know, moving temporarily to a different state to stand in front of people every single day (laughs) and talk about history seemed like a great idea. Uh, It turns out I was right, actually. It didn't help me conquer that particular fear. I got better. Um, By the end of the summer, I didn't look like I was going to have a heart attack and die. But it more importantly gave me the chance to kind of see the behind the scenes of how these historians tackle sharing the story of America's history with tourists from all over the world. It was absolutely fascinating. My favorite was when I got to meet a family from France. They had come, and if you're not familiar with the Siege of Yorktown, the French played a big role in that in that last, officially last battle of the American Revolution in 1781. And I was terrified. I had been talking to this family before the tour started. I was terrified because I was going to have to say some French words, and I knew I didn't pronounce them perfectly. 
And in the middle of the tour, they just left. And I was like, oh my goodness, I have completely offended this family. Well, the family came back the next day. The dad ran into the visitor center to find me. And he goes, sweetie, I just didn't want you to think that we had left because of your tour. We had to go do something really quickly. There was an emergency. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm sorry to hear that, but thank you so much for coming and telling me. It was the sweetest thing ever. Um, so while my, fo- my summer focused mostly on the end of the American Revolution, Our movie today talks about the beginning, how it all kind of started. Um, And I thought, as I was thinking through how I'd been doing these podcasts, it probably makes a little more sense to do the lazy internet research after a summary. So we're going to give that a whirl, see how that goes. So a quick rundown of the story with some spoilers, of course. Not too deep of a dive. This is the story about our founding fathers, a bunch of very intelligent, opinionated men with big egos and even bigger pride. And at the center of this particular story is John Adams, brilliantly and awkwardly played by William Daniels, a.k.a. Mr. Feeney, if you know, you know, uh, a fact that I never got past. (laughs) He just, I was like, Mr. Feeney is singing. (laughs) This is weird. So Adams is a staunch proponent for freedom from the tyranny of the British crown. He's having a very difficult time convincing the Continental Congress to go to war, mostly because he has annoyed all of the other delegates. Nobody seems to like him. He does have Ben Franklin on his side and a handful of others, but the vote for independence has consistently gone nowhere. The businessmen, the landowners, the slaveholders, the British loyalists, they keep just shooting down the idea. And poor Colonel George Washington keeps sending these desperate letters begging for assistance that kind of just fall on deaf ears. Maybe not deaf ears, but no one's willing to step up and help. Um, So while Adams is just, they've taken a break. He's walking around the town frustrated. He, you get these moments where he is writing to his wife, Abigail. They kind of have it almost as dream sequences, Um, So the wife appears, they're talking to one another, but you know, it's through a letter. She seems to be the only human on earth that isn't annoyed by him. (laughs) And then we're back in the Congress and during a rather tense debate on independence once again. When the vote is fairly close, it is suggested that if a document of independence was drafted and everyone agreed to it, they would support Washington in a war. So Adam throws the task to Jefferson. There's a nice song that goes along with that, uh, who Jefferson just really wants to get home to his brand new wife. He's totally distracted. So Adams and Franklin bring the wife to Philly. And that happens to be Blythe Danner, Gwyneth Paltrow's mom, which was threw me off a little too. They're thinking that if she's there in town with him, Uh, that he won't be as distracted. He won't be thinking of her. Whereupon there's a rather scandalous conversation about a married couple having sex in the middle of the the afternoon. Um, So then Jefferson eventually completes the Declaration of Independence. And while some agree to it, the sticking point seems to be about slavery. Some of the colonies want the idea of ending slavery stricken from the document. Adams and Jefferson, ironically, are adamant that it has to stay in, that slavery needs to be abolished. But they eventually decide to strike the clause to focus on independence first. And then the Continental Congress, as history has told, votes for independence, signs the documents, ends, and the colonies enter the war. The end. So it really is just a story about the Declaration of Independence. Um, Some interesting tidbits about the movie. All of the exchanges between John Adams and Abigail Adams are based on the real letters they wrote to each other while John was away. He called her his dearest friend, and their letters always ended with, till then. And according to the writer-director's commentary, John Adams' actual quote following Benjamin Franklin's urging to remove the slavery cause 
clause from the declaration was, if we give in on this issue, there will be trouble 100 years hence. And the first battle of the Civil War Accord, of course, um, occurred 85 years later in 1861. So the commentary started that quote was left out because it sounded too much like hindsight. And then while it is a running gag of the film that John Adams is considered obnoxious and is disliked by the other members of the Continental Congress, in David McCullough's Pulitzer Prize-winning biography, John Adams, McCullough said he had examined the written recollections of all of the members of the Congress, and none of them had anything but praise for Adams, except for John Adams himself. If you have not watched the miniseries based on that. I highly recommend it. Paul Giamatti is just brilliant as John Adams. So good. There's one particular scene when they are um, at his home in Massachusetts. He finds out that his daughter uh, has breast cancer and she they're going to do surgery on her. And to kind of see what women went through for things like that, men and women, but what this woman went through and the bravery that they all showed, it was a scene that has stayed with me. Um, and the relationship between Adams and Jefferson throughout that particular rendition of history is was kind of beautiful. It was difficult, of course, and complicated, but beautiful as well. Um, adjacent topic too, I guess. It's kind of interesting that Lin-Manuel Miranda presented a similar reputation of Adams in Hamilton with King George considering Adams a joke when he finds out that he's become president later on. So that all this kind of interesting, the different viewpoints of John Adams. In the miniseries too, he's not the most popular guy in the world. I mean, how can you not like Mr. Feeney though? Come on. So the final shot of the movie required the camera to pull back to show the entire congressional chamber, but there was, wasn't enough room on the set for the camera truck to pull back far enough since the sound stages were being used, were, they were slated to be demolished after production ended, and this was the final shot being done. They made a large hole in a wall with the camera truck protruding outdoors while pulling all the way back. So they did all that, but then it turned out that the sound stages were never demolished and the wall had to be rebuilt. So, so it goes. Jefferson is shown announcing the outside temperature to the Congress on request. In real life, Thomas Jefferson kept meticulous hourly temperature logs during the sitting of the Continental Congress. I wonder what he thought that information was going to tell him later on in life. That's an interesting thing to keep. On July 4th, 1776, the highest temperature recorded was 76 degrees. And both Thomas Jefferson and John Adams died on July 4th, 1826, the 50th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence's ratification. Jefferson's last words were, is it the fourth? Adams' last were, Thomas Jefferson still survives, although Jefferson had died hours earlier. And finally, there's this pig who appears in a street scene where Adams and Franklin go to visit Jefferson in his quarters. And according to Peter H. Hunt, the same pig who played Arnold Ziffel in Green Acres is that pig. I like that. <laughs> I like a famous pig. That's a good time. So what did the movie get right? The time period just it fascinates me to think of all that went into not only the decision to fight for independence, but the forging of a new nation is a little overwhelming. There is a great line. Uh, in National Treasure when they're sitting in the Library of Congress deciding whether or not they're going to steal the Declaration of Independence. And at one point, Nicholas T Cage turns, um, oh my goodness, I completely have forgotten that character's name. Oh, well, you know who I'm talking about. Turns back to to his friend and he says, you know, he's reading parts of the Declaration. He said, people just don't talk like that anymore. It 
and it, and I think in a sense it's true um, what these men were up against. Did the founding fathers get everything right? A big resounding no, they did not. But like other books and movies and TV shows about the time period, the movie does a decent job showing the passion and the intelligence of the men in the room. There's really just two in the whole dang movie, two women, which is frustrating. The daydream of Abigail Adams and a flirty Martha Jefferson. But sadly for that time, it makes sense. So to see what these men did um, and in a little bit, the support that the women gave them. I thought they did pretty well. And they also did a really good job creating songs that weren't exceptionally cheesy. <laughs> they moved the story forward. They gave good context to the storyline without a lot of monologuing. And at least in the case of Adams, it showed his humanity a little bit more, which was good, especially because of the depiction of him as being obnoxious and annoying. Were they me memorable ditties that... <sighs> I've kept humming after the movie. No, but I like them all, especially, but Mr. Adams, where they're arguing about who should actually write the declaration of independence. They're on a staircase. It's going back and forth. Adams says, Franklin, Franklin pushes it off on somebody else. That person pushes them off on Jefferson. It's, it's a fun little song. What irritated me about the movie. It's just the way it looked. Uh, the, I don't, is that called the cinematography? I don't even know, but that drove me crazy. I, I mean, I've watched many a movie from the 1970s, filmed in the 70s. And they haven't looked this bad. The whole movie is kind of fuzzy or blurry. It's just awful. And then you get the scenes that are meant to be fuzzy and blurry when John and Abigail are conversing through letters, and it gets even worse. Why does this movie look so bad? It looks bad. I did read, too, that most of, or not, I don't even know if it's most, several of the actors in the movie had actually been on Broadway with it too. And I always like it when that kind of happens. Um, so I'm going to be honest, that large detail that the, the way it looked was almost a deal breaker for me. I was like, I just don't, it just looked awful. <laughs> Why is it worth the rewatch or a first watch? As a student of history, retellings of specific moments always just fascinate me. Artistic license based on historical research is such a tricky thing. And why it can be, while it can be frustrating that it's not exactly right, I like the conversation it offers and the strong urge you get to dive into your own research on the topic. <clears throat> I'm looking at you, Hamilton. There was a lot in Hamilton that is not historically accurate, but it's a jumping off point to learn more. And I think, if nothing else, that's the best part of these things. If that appeals to you, if learning more about the founding of our nation and one of the documents that this whole venture started with is of interest, it's worth enjoying this interpretation. Or if you're a fan of Mr. Feeney and you want to hear him sing, <laughs> that's worth it too. He's a decent singer. Kind of surprised me a little. But that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Really, it is so appreciated. If you haven't already, I hope you subscribe so we can keep going on this journey together. And if you've got the time, it would be awesome if you could rate and review so that other individuals who like random conversations about pop culture with someone who doesn't really know what they're talking about can join the fun as well. Or if you want to share the podcast, that would be awesome too. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at, at GnomeGirlM and on Facebook as a bit of fun with Emily. I don't post a lot, but I do reserve Wednesdays as the perfect day for asking impossible questions. So at least hop on on Wednesdays. Go have yourself a bit of fun today. And I will see you next time. Bye.